This Wellness Coach Podcast is brought to you by our brand new Facebook group called The Wellness Couch Tribe. Come join us and chat about any episode at any time. Keep up to date with all our events and connect with a like-minded group of wellness enthusiasts. To join The Wellness Couch Tribe, simply search for The Wellness Couch Tribe on Facebook. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up For A Chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Mara. And today's guest is somebody particularly special. In fact, very famous. In fact, I don't think I've ever come across a guest with more letters after his name. (laughs) (laughs) We're very, very excited to welcome Peter Bruckner to the show. Welcome, Peter. And, you know, I'm not even going to go into what all of the letters are because I don't think I know what they all are, but I'm going to be so excited to hear you explaining them all. But more importantly, your background, who you are and how you've come to be on today's show. Well, firstly, it's a great honour to be uh, to be on the show. I'm uh, delighted to be here. Um, secondly, yeah, don't worry about all those letters. They're just, uh, you know, I don't know what they mean either. I just made them Order up. Order of Australian Medal just is looks one good. Of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's well, the first one. That's that the co- first one. That cost me a fortune. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, congratulations um, on that yeah. one. I think that that is prestigious and, yeah, yeah that's great. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, okay, so you want me to tell you my background. Um, I'm a doctor, um, so graduated uh, from Melbourne University and uh, then sort of uh, always, my passion's always been sport, so uh, to no one's great surprise, I finished up in sports medicine and um, I uh, initially got involved opening up a clinic here in, uh, in Melbourne, uh, Olympia Park Sports Medicine Centre, which is still going strong 30-odd years later. Um, and then I started working with, uh, with various teams, uh, AFL teams, sort of uh, Melbourne and Collingwood. If you're, in, you know, if you're in sports medicine in Melbourne, you know, you've got to do an AFL team at some stage. So uh, I did that. Um, then I had uh, a long period of time with, with sort of national teams and swimming, hockey, athletics. I uh, did a couple of Olympics, uh, Atlanta and then Sydney. Um, that was a great experience. And then, um, 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 and then um, what did I do after that? Then I took a bit of a break from travelling with teams and then got involved with the Melbourne University and uh, did a lot of media work and then got back into teams. So I did the Socceroos for the uh, 2010 World Cup or the three or four years leading up to that in the World Cup. And then from there, I went straight to, uh, to England to work uh, with uh, Liverpool Club in the English Premier League. Did uh, a couple of years there. And then, uh, then cricket. So I did uh, five years with the, with the Aussie cricket team, including uh, the World Cup win and uh, a couple of Ashes and various other tours. And finished up with that uh, a couple of years ago now, uh, well before the cricket team's indiscretion, so which I take no responsibility. Clearly, they were missing my moral guidance over the last year or two. But um, um, yeah, and then uh, the last couple of years, I've uh, I've been involved in the sort of second part of my uh, my career, if you like, which has been my interest in uh, in public health and particularly in nutrition. Peter, just before Cindy gets in there, because I know that once she starts, we won't all get a word in ways. <laughs> but just before we do, 
So you're saying 30 years ago you were in Melbourne. You didn't happen to speak at Olympic Park with Karen Inge and yourself at, for the Collingwood football. Was that you then? Yeah, could have been. Could have been yeah. I knew it. Yeah. I was in the audience and oh, there right. you were. 30 yeah. years ago, I was listening to you. You, and you don't look any different. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was around the time when ultramarathon running was quite big and Janis Kouris was in Melbourne. And yes. Yeah. I had just got into ultramarathon running at that time. Oh, right. And I remember a group of you doctors at Olympic Park Sports Medicine finding him very intriguing and, and quite a... I guess, an enigma in many ways. Can you tell me a little bit from a, as opposed to a medical doctor, as opposed to a sports doctor, obviously there's the differences around you're looking at more, maybe the functionality of the human body and what that is. How has that made you look at life in general from a sports perspective, as opposed to a general life perspective? Um, Well, look, I mean, ultimately, you know, a sports medicine doctor is, is primarily a doctor, you know, so your first priority is your patient. And it just happens that my patients tend to be active patients, uh, which is fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm working. That's one of the best things about being in sports medicine is that, you know, you're working with a, uh, um, you know, an audience that, that exercises, that wants to get healthy, that wants to get better. So that's probably one of the big differences between the, the patients we see you know, everyone is desperate to get better. They want to get back to their uh, to their sport or their activity. And and the funny thing is that it doesn't matter whether you're a professional athlete being paid, you know, £100,000 a week to play football for Liverpool or whether you just want to walk the dog or play your, your midweek tennis match or uh, so on. People can be just as passionate about uh, about their recovery and about getting back to what they're doing. And... Uh, you know, I, I don't assume that anyone, you know, just because you're not playing professional sport, that doesn't mean you don't want to get back to it as soon as you can. So so that's a, the nice thing about working in sports medicine is people want to get better. You know, you tell them to stand on their head for three hours, they'll do it. You know, it's, uh, it's um, you know, really, uh, really good to work with that motivated group of people. And, uh, and I guess, you know, being around people who uh, exercise and, and uh and realise the importance of, uh, of diet and, uh, and, and lifestyle factors, I guess, has sort of, you know, led me to, um, to understand the importance of those, uh, those factors in, uh, in life. You know, as, as doctors, we're, you know, we're, we're trained very much to, be, to, to look after disease and, and particularly with, with medications. Now, that's our sort of modus operandi. You know, that's what we're taught. And, uh, and that, you know, what I've discovered over the last few years, I guess, is that that's a very limited way of doing things and it's much more uh, practical and, and advantageous to everyone if we actually try and prevent these diseases and uh, and and if they do come you know um, treat them with with uh, with diet and with exercise and with stress management and, and things like that uh, much better than, uh, than you know piling one drug on top of the other and if they don't work well we'll do an operation or whatever so that's been a real sort of a uh, sea change for me I guess in the last uh, seven years now uh, and I've really sort of changed my practice completely away from looking after athletes with injuries I guess uh, to to try to looking after people's sort of metabolic health and their, their general sort of health and trying to you know we, we just are getting you know fatter and sicker as a nation uh, the whole time I mean it's just crazy you know we're uh, you know Australia is one of the fat, you know, the top six fattest nations in the world you know and I mean how can that happen you know, we're, you know, we've got a wonderful climate. We're a wealthy country. We're well-educated. You know, we've got access to fresh food everywhere. You know, how can we be 
one of the fattest and sickest countries in the world. So I guess, you know, my mission really over the last few years and, and, and the future is really to try and, try and address that issue and, uh, and try and improve the health of Australians. Well, I know the dietitians are not blaming the dietary guidelines because they're saying that only 1% of the Australian population follow the dietary guidelines. That's what was in the paper last week. Uh, could you say it's the dietary guidelines that's made us fatter and sicker or do you think the dietitians are right and nobody's following anything and we're all doing our own thing? Oh, look, I think certainly the dietary guidelines have contributed. You know, it's, it's very interesting looking back uh, on how the dietary guidelines came about. I mean, they came about in the USA uh, back in the late 1970s, 1980. And, uh, and, and at that time, there were sort of two schools of thought. There was a school of thought that, thought that, uh, that proclaimed that sugar was the problem. Uh, and there was a school of thought in America. That was in Britain mainly. And the school of thought in the United States where they said fat was the problem. And um, obviously the fat one, uh, fat people, uh, the people who thought fat was a problem won out and they convinced the, uh, the American government. Uh, and basically uh, the basis of, their, uh, of how they convinced people was on fraudulent research. You know, it was on a research uh, paper that, uh, that has you know, cl- since clearly been shown to be, uh, to be fraudulent, the seven country study where they isolated uh, seven countries out of a total of 22 and, uh, and made out that there was a direct relationship between the amount of fat in their diet and their, and their mortality, whereas when you looked at the whole 22 countries, there was no such relationship at all. And, and that was the whole basis of, uh, of uh, the changes in, uh, in, into the dietary guidelines or the introduction of the dietary guidelines around 1980. And, and at the time, you know, it was, uh, it was remarkable. They set up a, the U.S. Senate set up a committee and, uh, of, you know, dietary experts, and those dietary experts recommended that there, for instance, should be two servings of, uh, of grains and cereals and, and bread per day. And they sent the recommendations to the U.S. Department of Agriculture and it came back with six to nine uh, servings. Um, so, you know, it, it was really uh, not on the basis of any science at all. And even at the time, all the medical fraternity in the U.S. said, you can't, you know, you can't do this. You know, there's no evidence for this. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the Senate said, no, we can't wait for the evidence. And, uh, you know, people have still since gone back and looked at all the evidence that was available then, and there was absolutely no science behind these dietary guidelines. So, so we were all told the whole Western society really has been on this 40-year experiment of uh, removing fat from our diet. You know, it's, uh, we were told to remove fat, and the food industry did. It was low-fat this and low-fat that, and, you know, full-fat dairy was out, and butter was replaced by margarine, and we weren't allowed to have eggs because they had cholesterol, and, and uh, so on. And, and that's, you know... What happened then was that uh, the food industry quickly realised that when you take the fat out of food, you actually take all the flavour out. So uh, they thought, huh, this is a problem. But their solution to the problem was very clever. They just replaced the fat with sugar. So really what we've been on for the last 30 or 40 years is a low-fat, high-sugar diet. And that's been disastrous. I mean, we've got fatter and sicker every single year for 40 years. And, uh, you know, it seems to me, if you're running a, you know, running a business and your bottom line got steadily worse every year for 40 years, wouldn't you at some stage in that 40 years think, hey, hang on a minute, maybe we're doing something wrong. Maybe we need to change something. No, no, we just keep going along with the same guidelines, telling people that fat is the evil and uh, allowing people to have as as many carbohydrates as they like. And uh, it's time to change. I mean, that's clearly been a disastrous failure. It's been the biggest experiment, worldwide experiment, that's ever been uh, conducted. And you'd have to say it's been a disastrous failure. 
Peter, can I ask you, as a doctor, and you hear this and you've seen this and you've watched this, do you, as a doctor, um, I don't know what the right word is, would you, do you feel shame in the profession for this? Is it the profession that you would like to have a hard look at or is it government? Is it policy? Is it the conglomerates and the big uh, corporations? Is there anyone that we can say should take accountability here? All of the above. You know, we all have to take some responsibility for it. You know, certainly as a medical profession, I think we've let, uh, we've let the, our patients down. But look, in a way, I don't blame individual doctors, you know, because that's what we're taught. You know, I mean, okay, I did medicine a fair while ago, but I did not have a single lecture on nutrition, not a single lecture on exercise in my whole six years of medical study. Now, no, I don't think things have changed that much. You know, our whole education is that it, we're taught to treat diseases and to treat them with medications. So, you know, you naturally, you stay in your comfort zone. You, you do what you're taught. And uh, so, you know, I can't blame individual doctors for, uh, for that because they're just doing what they've been taught and what they're told. Um, but as a, as a profession as a whole, I think, yes, we've got to take some responsibility along with all those other groups that, uh, that you mentioned because obviously there's a lot of people with vested interest now in maintaining the status quo. You know, there is the food industry, the pharmaceutical industry, they're all making billions and billions of dollars out of the current uh, status. So it's very hard to change things. There are and a lot of anal- you- Sorry, we just find it. There are a lot of analogies with tobacco, actually. And, you know, mm. a lot of people are saying sugar is the new tobacco. And, uh, you know, there are obviously people who are trying to sort of, uh, um, you know, hose that message down about uh, smoking being harmful. And they succeeded for about 20 years. You know, even though the evidence was there, the industry just succeeded in, in preventing people uh, realising that. But eventually the truth came out and I'm, I'm hoping the same will happen with, uh, with sugar. Absolutely. And if you had a message to the end, I guess, user, the, the, the person, us, the public, what would be your message to instigate hope and what would be your advice in as far as taking responsibility? Because we obviously look to doctors for answers. We look to doctors often in cases to fix or heal us, yet we are the ones that should be taking responsibility. What's your advice to us? Well, I think the advice is that you can significantly affect your health by, by your own choices uh, and, they, and the two most important things are diet and exercise. And uh, I think uh, as far as diet goes, if I just had to summarise it all in one line, I'd just say JERF, J-E-R-F, which of course stands for just eat real food. So basically if you stick to real food and avoid processed foods, processed foods, sugar, they contain seed oils, they contain grains, and, uh, and they're really, um, they're really uh, not, you know, not healthy. If you stick to, you know, real foods, you know, meat, fish, fruit, vegetables, uh, nuts, um, you know, drink mainly water, uh, you know, you're going to take control of your health and make a massive difference. So just that one simple thing by, you know, opening up your cupboard, throwing out everything that's in a packet or a can (laughs) and uh, and just eating fresh food, you know, and uh, you'll be a whole lot to, you know, you can... You know, we can, uh, we can reverse these, uh, these epidemics, you know, this obesity epidemic. We can reverse type 2 diabetes, you know, by, uh, by taking sugar and carbohydrates out of our diet. You know, we don't have to revert to, to drugs and so on. So, you know, we can really make a big change, uh, which is quite exciting, I think. Can we talk about uh, your health? 
and when you became enlightened by um, nutrition, as you said, you never studied it, not even one lesson or one class at school. So what happened? How did you find that diet might be the answer to what was happening out there? Well, um, you know, I just uh, gone along with everyone else, the same, you know, eating a, a low-fat you know, diet and uh, low-fat this and low-fat that and exercising regularly. And, and I thought, you know, I should have been pretty healthy. But um, uh, six, seven years ago, um, living in England, um, I just turned 60, uh, which was the age that my father had developed type 2 diabetes. So I was pretty conscious, you know, that I didn't want to go down that track. And, you know, probably if you'd asked me, you know, you know, how was I or was I healthy? I'd have said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I, uh, I um, you know, I'd been, hadn't had any illnesses. I'd, uh, um, I guess, you know, my blood pressure was good. I was, you know, I was healthy. I was eating a low-fat diet uh, and my blood sugar was fine. You know, I'd, I'd have probably said I was okay. But the reality was that, you know, I had that uh, family history. Uh, I was overweight come obese. You know, I was right on the borderline of, uh, of overweight obesity. Um, I'd probably, like so many, you know, uh, middle-aged people, I'd probably put on half a kilogram a year for 30 years, you know, just gradually just uh, getting, uh, you know, getting fatter every, uh, every year. And, uh, you know, my kids are starting to poke me in the, in the stomach and say, you know, come on, Dad, you know, what about it? And I'm shrugging my shoulders and saying, you know, well, I'm doing all the right things. You know, I'm on this low-fat diet and I exercise and so on, you know. It's not my fault, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, so, but also I, I probably, you know, metabolically I, I wasn't healthy. But, you know, I had blood tests done then and I had a high triglyceride level, which is one of the, the important lipids. I had a high insulin level. Um, I had a thing called a fatty liver, which is a, uh, something I'd had for 10 years and like a, it's a fatty infiltration of your liver. Uh, like a typical doctor, I completely ignored it and uh, pretended it would go away and I figured I was on a low-fat diet so I'd be fine and I didn't really understand fatty liver. Um, so I probably wasn't quite as healthy as I thought. And, and in retrospect, I was clearly pre-diabetic. I mean, I, was, I have no doubt that if I'd continued on that frame by now, I would be a fully-fledged uh, diabetic. There's no doubt, uh, no doubt in my mind about that. So I had a bit of a sort of a, a eureka moment uh, back then and uh, a colleague of mine in South Africa by the name of Tim Noakes, who's probably known to a lot of, uh, a lot of your listeners, uh, sports science guru, old friend of mine. We'd known each other for a long, long time. And he was a, he's a super smart guy. And he'd, he'd challenged a few orthodoxies in sports science over the years and always been proven right. So when he came out and said that, he, uh, that he'd been wrong, and that, uh, you know, he'd been a great advocate of carbohydrates for runners. He was a runner himself, and he wrote the, a book called The Law of Running, which is sort of a Bible for all distance runners. And um, he said, no, no, he'd been wrong. And he'd actually developed type 2 diabetes himself and become quite unwell and completely reversed all his problems by swapping from a, a high-carbohydrate diet to a low-carbohydrate diet with, uh, with plenty of healthy fat. And uh, he came out and said that, and I thought, whoa, boy, you know, that's that's." Yeah, that's a that's a big call, <laughs> and I thought, oh, you know, Tim's finally lost his marbles. Um, but um, I thought, you know, given I, I had such respect for him, I thought, no, I need to look into this. So I read a book called uh, "Good Calories, Bad Calories" by an author called Gary Taubes, who is a uh, an American uh, uh, science writer, and uh, that was the book that just blew me away. I mean, uh, it not only sort of talked about the relative merits of, of fats and and, and carbohydrates about the, the politics that I mentioned before about uh, how the sort of the, the low fat movement won out over the low car movement and uh, 
and it was really scary stuff. And, and I remember putting it down at night and thinking, no, nah, this couldn't be right. Like, we couldn't have got this such a basic thing to die the whole Western society. You know, is wrong, you know, and then there's no evidence in the first place. Um, so I found it really quite confronting and got me, you know, inspired me to, to read lots more stuff, and uh, which, uh, which I did. And uh, the more I read, the more I got disturbed. And I thought, God, this is, you know, this, this couldn't be right. This is incredible. And so I thought, well, it was time to sort of uh, do an experiment. And um, um, those of uh, the scientists among us would know that, you know, when you do an experiment with an N equals one, the experiment is not really va- very valid. But except when the one is you, in which case, you know, the N equals one becomes very important. So I decided it was time for an N equals one experiment, their one being me. So on uh, day one, I got all my bloods done. And, you know, sure enough, high insulin, fatty liver, all that sort of stuff. And uh, then I went on a, a low-carb sort of healthy fat diet. So what that meant was that I stopped eating uh, anything with sugar. I stopped eating starchy foods, you know, bread, cereal, pasta, rice, potatoes. I uh, stopped eating, drinking fruit juice, cut back on my fruit intake, just stuck to berries um, and that sort of thing. So, and, I replaced, and the way I ate was really probably the way my, my parents and grandparents had eaten, you know, sort of meat and fish and, and uh, lots of veggies, uh, you know, green veg, um, some berries. Uh, I went back to full cream and full fat uh, milk and dairy products. Uh, I went back to eating eggs, um, you know, sack the margarine and replace it with butter. And I'd have sort of nuts and, uh, and, and so on. So, you know, I, uh, I did that and, um, you know, pretty soon some you know, amazing things happened. I mean, the first thing I noticed from day one virtually was I stopped being hungry. So instead of sort of, you know, having my cereal for breakfast at, you know, 8 o'clock and then by 11 o'clock being starving again, you know, I, uh, I'd have my eggs and bacon uh, for breakfast and I wouldn't, need to, wouldn't feel hungry all day. You know, so I went from eating three meals and three snacks a day to probably eating two meals a day. And, uh, you know, just wasn't hungry. And then, uh, then I weighed myself every week and I just, you know, kept losing weight and uh, it was you know, fantastic. I was eating all this lovely food and uh, I was never hungry. And I sort of almost felt guilty, you know, this is just too easy. I thought you know, losing weight was supposed to be hard, but it was, uh, it was fantastic. And then, you know, I started to, to feel better. I had more energy. Um, I stopped falling asleep, you know, sort of that after lunch, you know, sort of sleepiness. So I slept better at night. I stopped snoring. Um, I, uh, you know, my exercise got better and uh, my concentration got better. And all these sort of positive things were happening and I kept losing weight. So... So I did it for three months, so 13 weeks, lost 13 kilograms in 13 weeks, um, never being hungry. The more fat I ate, the more fat I lost. I just couldn't believe it, you know, because it was the hardest thing was getting my head around the fact that it was okay to eat fat again. You know, for 30 years we've been told fat is bad, fat is bad, it's going to clog your arteries, you know, you can't have fat. And, uh, and sort of, you know, trying to reverse that, it was quite challenging. But, um, you know, I just kept seeing the results and, uh, so I lost, you know, 13 kilograms in 13 weeks. Uh, I did my blood tests at the end of that. I'd, uh, my triglycerides had come down by half. They were down to normal. My, uh, my insulin levels were normal. And the fatty liver that I had for 10 years had completely disappeared in three months. Unbelievable. And uh, so, you know, I thought this is a pretty good three months' work, you know. I, mean, I lost all this weight. I feel fantastic. And, and all my uh, you know, metabolic markers have, uh, have improved dramatically. And I've gone from being someone who has on the verge of becoming diabetic to, uh, to you know, being perfectly normal. And uh, there was one serious uh, disadvantage, though. I had to buy a new wardrobe. So, uh, <laughs> you know, 
I went down two sizes in trousers and uh, and so on. But I figured that was a fairly small price to pay. But uh, so that's been a, a long-winded story, I know. But that that's really how I, I got into this. And and as a result of that, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, I, I need to tell people about this. You know, so I've become an advocate for it and uh, and tried to sort of spread the message around. Uh, you know the the public and and the sporting community and uh, and to send a message out to, to to GPs, you know, to doctors, to physios, to you know anyone who will listen to me, basically, <laughs> even people on your podcast. Um, so you know, I, I just have a mission to to try and get that message out there that we can control our health, and if we if we eat properly, then it can make a massive difference to our lives. So, were you with the cricket team when this happened? Uh, it was just before. It was actually sort of um, between my first two tours of the cricket team. So uh, by the time I turned up for the second tour, the boys, uh, you know, the boys couldn't believe it. They said, "You know, what's happened to you, Doc? You know, what have you been doing? You faded away. You're half the man you used to be." And um, yeah, so they were, they were pretty impressed. Sorry. What, what years were you with the cricket team? Uh, 2012 to 2017. So. Um, yeah, so they're very lucky to get you, and I think they could do with you again right now. They seem to be in a little bit of a lull, don't they? Not that I'm a Kiwi on about how great New Zealand's doing at the moment, but um, my husband played cricket for New Zealand for 10 years, Peter, and yes. the nutritional advice back in the late 80s, early 90s was, in fact, um, a gentleman rang and said that they needed to eat more, um, more fat, more pig, um, they needed to go running and pig hunting so that they got better hand-eye coordination. <laughs> to me, it's sounding very functional movement and very caveman way of eating as opposed to the fine wine and gentleman's game that it is. <laughs> Have you seen much change even in that short period, that five years you were with the team? Um, was there much change in attitude around nutrition? Because a lot of cricketers didn't seem to have a very positive, healthy attitude to food, if I can be honest. No, no, that's right. And uh, yeah, I did come across your husband in a few of his uh, commentary gigs, you know, in uh, various countries around the world. Um, but um, yeah, look, there was a there was a variety of responses. Um, you know, and a number of the guys uh, sort of because it was tricky because the team had a dietitian who was doing all the usual sort of you know low fat and uh, lots, you know, lots of carbs sort of thing. So some of the guys got a bit disillusioned with that, and so that. You know, quietly uh, sort of come and see me and have a chat about uh, about diet and so on. A number of them did adopt a uh, a low carb uh, diet and with some pretty impressive results. You know, one of them had uh, quite a, a significant uh, arthritic problem and and he uh, he uh, you know pretty much uh, got over that or you know I won't say cured but uh, um, basically got rid of all his symptoms by by adopting a a low carb diet. And that was sort of pretty dramatic and. Uh, and a number of them, you know, lost significant amounts of weight. Because the, the bizarre thing is, as you alluded to, you know, here are these guys who are full-time professional athletes who are still overweight. You know, it's sort of hard to imagine, really. I mean, they're exercising all day, every day, and yet they're still overweight because because uh, they were uh, they were on the wrong sort of uh, the wrong diet. And uh, so a number of them, uh, yeah, so they, I think they became a lot more uh, food conscious. You know, it became a bit of a joke after a while, you know, the, oh, you know, careful the doc's watching sort of thing. But, uh, I, I, you know, I didn't sort of uh, force it on them at all. It wasn't really my role. But, uh, you know, um, I think they all started to eat a lot better. And uh, I think it's had a significant, uh, significant impact on, uh, on their performances over that, uh, over that period. How did the dietitian um, take it? Uh, well, it was tricky there for a while, and uh, you know, I think uh, 
Um, you know, look, I think it's very hard for dietitians, you know, and uh, because basically, you know, again, they, they've been taught one thing and they've been telling people one thing for, you know, for all their careers. And all of a sudden, you know, there are people coming along sort of challenging that and they feel very, uh, very threatened and so on. So, you know, it's, uh, I mean, there's certainly not, you know, it's not all wrong what they've been telling people. I mean, there's certainly for, you know, uh, there is a role for carbohydrates in, in you know, elite sport and that. And so on, but uh, it, it's more, you know, my concern for the average person, really, rather than the elite athlete. That uh, you know, they'll they'll manage fine, you know. Uh, but you know, my my real concern is 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 for you know the average person who's uh, who's you know, putting on weight, uh, becoming insulin resistant, becoming you know heading towards type two diabetes, and uh, with all the sort of disastrous consequences that uh, that occur as a result of that. So. I guess you know that's that's more my focus now rather than the uh, the elite athlete. Uh, but you know they can certainly uh, benefit uh, from you know if you if you improve your diet. You know the the other good things is that you know as well as the weight loss and so on, you improve your recovery. Uh, you, be, you get less inflammation. Um, so there's a lot of advantage to the athlete to to uh, you know to getting on a on a low carb, healthy fat diet. I've been um, listening to Dave Feldman. I don't know if you've heard of him. I know Dave well, yes, yeah. Yeah, and the cholesterol code and um, the phenotype um, where somebody like you're talking about, an athlete that's uh, um, a marathon runner, may have um, higher LDL and higher um, levels than what the normal person will have. And um, I'm finding that really interesting. Have you been um, what following him? And if so, do you want to explain uh, what that means? Uh, well, I, I couldn't do Dave justice, really. I, I do know Dave very well. We've spoken at a number of conferences together, and, and he's been out to Australia the last uh, three years, I think, Dave, to speak at one of our conferences and so on. He's a fascinating character. And, and like so many of the people who are prominent in this, uh, in this uh, world, if you like, he's not medical. And uh, they're very much, there's a lot of engineers who are, have become very interested in this whole thing. And I always sort of look at engineers as people who think pretty logically and look at the evidence and make decisions and so on. So it's, it's probably not – and they don't come with all the baggage that, you know, that us doctors and dietitians do. They can sort of come at it afresh. And, uh, and Dave's one of these people who, uh, who looks at the evidence and does – he experiments a lot on himself. Um, yeah. and, uh, he must, uh, you know, have a blood test every day, I think, look at his results and so on. So one who's got any blood left. But uh, – um, Dave's someone who, who, you know, what, what he's done in a nutshell is, is uh, show the, the variability. Everyone, you know, the medical profession has been obsessed with LDL, which is sort of the so-called bad cholesterol. And, uh, and everyone's been convinced that, you know, that's the, you know, you've got to lower your LDL levels, which is why, you know, people go on statins and things like that. And what Dave's shown is that there's massive variability in LDL. They are both genetic and also depending on, on diet. And, you know, he's actually raised his LDL to ridiculous levels by just, you know, filling himself with fat for three days, you know. So, I mean, he's shown it's a very labile and probably uh, not as relevant and important as, as the rest of the medical profession uh, suggest. And that there are, uh, yeah, certain people who uh, generate very high levels of LDL and that, uh, in some cases, can actually be quite healthy, and uh, so on. So, um, I think you know what we what we've we're really focusing on now is is not so much the, the total cholesterol levels or your LDL levels, but it's more your your triglycerides and your HDL levels, and particularly your triglyceride HDL ratio. And that's a really good indicator of uh, of your uh, you know prospective health and uh, your insulin resistance levels and so on. So, 
Um, this obsession with, with cholesterol, I think, is, uh, you know, hopefully uh, will soon be a thing of the past and we'll, we'll focus more on, uh, on other issues, and particularly uh, your, your sugar levels, and, uh, you know, which are best measured with your, your glucose levels or your HbA1c levels and uh, so on. So uh, I think really it, uh, it's just another you know, indicator that uh, it's not sort of fats that are the problem, it's, it's sugars that are the problem. Yeah, I, th- I think what we've done is we've done so many extremes. So first of all, salt was a problem and now f- then fat and then now sugar. And yeah. I, I just I think protein must be up next. I'm just not sure. <laughs> but that's what I've noticed. You know, I've been, um, I-, I started my life at university um, to do dietetics and, um, and basically, you know, back then salt was an issue and, that, and then fat became the issue and, like I said, sugar and, I don't know, it, it'll be protein. Well, it is actually. A protein is being absolutely abused in the way of meat. So, um, you yeah. know, everybody's taking, everyone's going vegan and plant-based and saying that meat's bad for us. So yeah. What, yeah. what do you think um, is going to be the next thing that we're going to see, uh, you know, with your knowledge of what has happened in the past? Yeah, well, I, you know, you mentioned the, the anti-meat movement and, and the vegan movement, and, and that really worries me at the moment uh, mm. because, um, you know, that meat is probably the single, you know, or animal products, you know, meat and dairy and eggs and so on are the most nu- nutrient-dense, nutritious foods that we have. Uh, they're, they're low in sugar, low in carbohydrate. There's lots, lots of healthy fats and lots of good protein. And, uh, and they're very, you know, they're very nutrient-dense, you know, whereas... You know, all the, a lot of processed foods are very what we call empty calories. You know, there's no, um, you know, vitamins and minerals and protein associated with them and so on. And, and I guess, you know, I don't have any, a problem at all with people going vegan if, if that's, that's their choice and if it's, you know, for reasons of, of animal welfare or, or whatever, I'm, I'm fine. That's cool. You know, no, no problems at all. Uh, I think it's more challenging to be healthy when you're vegan, but it's certainly, uh, certainly possible. But, you know, the way the, the, the vegan movement is trying to sort of, uh, you know, skew the evidence and force everyone into uh, feeling guilty about eating meat and so on. I mean, there's, you know, there's, they come up with this environmental argument, which is really, uh, there's just as much evidence that, uh, that plants are a problem, you know, if, uh, crops are a problem for the environment as it is that, uh, that grazing uh, cattle, for instance, are. I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, positive things that, uh, that grazing cattle do to our soil and to uh, and, and carbon sink and so on. So, you know, the, the evidence is not sort of uh, all one way. And, uh, and, and same with health, you know. I mean, it's actually harder to be healthy on a vegan diet. You know, you actually have to take supplements. So to me, you know, a diet can't be natural, you know, if you have to take supplements as well. And, uh, and you know, I, I think it's, uh, you know, if that's their choice, as I said, I respect that, that's fine. But don't try and tell us that it's healthier or more environmentally friendly to be uh, to be vegan, and I'll probably cop all the sort of the vegan fanatics now uh, trolling me and uh, and uh, and abusing me. But uh, you know that's the reality. I mean, I've you know I've I've, I've done a lot of uh, studying and I've tried to look at both sides of this argument. And uh, and uh, you know there are all sorts of things that are bad for the environment. You know, and uh, you know they, they talk about uh, even the animal welfare thing. Well, you know if you if you plough fields, you know you you destroy you know thousands of. Uh, of smaller animals and insects and so on. You know, they don't seem to be a problem. You know, it's all the, the larger animals that are the problem. So, and so, you know, it's a very complex uh, field and uh, just not as simple as, uh, you know, as everyone uh, makes out of it. So, uh, you know, I think, but just purely from a health point of view, 
you know, I think there are a lot of advantages to eating uh, meat and eggs. You know, eggs are a very nutritious uh, food. You know, it's just a tragedy that for so many years, you know, we were told that eggs were full of cholesterol, even though there was everyone, all the experts knew that the cholesterol in the food makes no difference to the cholesterol in your blood, but it was still an excuse to vilify uh, eggs and all those horrible egg white omelets that people had to have for years. God, you know, tasteless and uh, useless, really. And, uh, you know, so I think eggs are, are a fantastic uh, food and, and, and dairy products, you know, I mean, it's been shown, you know, they, uh, you know they're associated with, uh, with improved mortality and, uh, and so on. So, you know, it's this whole, you know, it seems to be based more on sort of, you know, religion and, and, and all this sort of fervour of, uh, of, of vegans. And, and, you know, I think everyone's got to respect each other's, uh, you know, choices and opinions. And I don't want it sort of forced on me or, you know, uh, people trying to make uh, make us feel guilty because we're, uh, we're eating meat. I mean, uh, that's our choice and, and respect that choice, you know, as I respect the vegan's choice to not eat meat. Yeah. How has your family... Um done with your complete change around have they followed suit or have you had some um antagonists within the family wondering what you're doing and i'm just not talking about your personal family but your medical family as well how's that gone yeah well i mean the kids call it the cult you know he said oh they said our dad's off talking about the cult uh, but um it's a bit of a family joke but uh no the immediate family have been very supportive um and by and large, have bought into uh, into the concepts of, uh, of reducing sugar and, and, and processed foods and eating real foods. I've got a, a little grandson now who's not you know, doesn't have any processed food. He just has uh, fresh food, and uh, you know he's uh, he's thriving. And uh, you know, I sort of shudder to think of some of the things that we gave our kids, you know, years ago, and uh, probably wasn't doing them any any favours, to be honest. As far as uh, my medical colleagues go. Um, I think uh, probably a mixed reaction is, is fair to say. I mean, the majority of them have been polite and interested and, um, um, you know, willing to listen. Um, and I think, you know, many of them are coming around to this way of, uh, of thinking. Um, you know, I just uh, recently gave a talk at a big sport, at our big sports medicine conference uh, uh, in, in Queenstown, New Zealand, uh, the Australasian sort of sports physicians and, and, you know, there was a big crowd at our nutrition talks and a lot of a uh, lot of positive comments. So, you know, I think um, if if people you know have it explained to them and uh, and, and get the opportunity to, to to listen to what we're talking about and read what we're talking about, they uh, they can see the logic of it. And the and the other thing is that you know their patients are telling them. You know, their, their patients are telling them, "Hey, I'm on this. I've tried this low carb stuff and it works." You know, I've lost weight. I've, I've reversed my type 2 diabetes. My arthritis feels better. You know, my depression's reduced. Um, I mean, these are things that uh, people, are, you know, patients are telling their doctors all the time and, and, and doctors have got to listen. You know, they've got to listen and, uh, and take note. Uh, so in a way, it's ironic, isn't it, that the, these patients are educating doctors. Yeah, and, I, I, you know, I often wondered why, um, you know, before nutrition was being talked about, um, back in the 80s, I often wondered why the doctors weren't um, saying to people, oh, you know, go see a dietitian or go see someone. They seem to be not sending them that way. And, and what I realised is that the dietary guidelines at that stage were not working and they were not seeing the changes. It's not until like um, Gary Torbs and Tim Noakes and Zoe Harkham and then we've got Dave Feldman and Ivor Cummins and yourself 
uh, are beginning to, you know, speak up and go, hey, maybe they're not right and maybe we need to do something different. But the sad thing is, Peter, is that I, when I read this article, and actually Karen pointed it out to me, when I read the article, it was that they believed that they still, the, the Dietitians Association of Australia still felt there needed to be an education program about the dietary guidelines and there was nothing wrong with them at this point. It was because people weren't following it that was the problem. So, you know, I just, I think it's changing. I think it's turning. There's more dietitians. I have dietitians doing my functional nutrition academy. So they're beginning to set question you know, the guidelines and what they were taught. I was taught that, you know, that's, I was taught the exact same thing um, in the eighties, in the early eighties. So um, it's good to see you um, talking. I I have to tell everybody, um, I listened to you speak. You spoke just before me at at one of Luke Hines's um, events and my event coordinator is looking at me and saying, He's just talking your talks and he's just saying what you would be saying. And so I had to change my whole talk. Oh, I'm sorry, Cindy. I'm oh, no, sorry. No, 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 that was fine. It was because it was, I realised that it's, it was just brilliant. You were just saying it and Ruth's just looking at me going, that, that could be your slide, Cindy. <laughs> and he was using my computer, by the way, everybody, but no. Oh, there you go, But, yeah, yeah, it was wonderful to see you up there and I know you're on the speaking circuit a lot. So... How do um, how do people find you? I've got your book in front of me, The Fat Lot of Good, so I'll make sure that yep. that goes on the show notes. So how else do they find you if they want you for a speaking engagement? Um, just contact me through the Fat Lot of Good website. Um, yep. There's lots of uh, stuff on there and uh, and all my different you know lectures and podcasts and hopefully this one shortly. Um, and... Um, yeah, you can contact me uh, directly and uh, I'm happy to come and uh, talk to... I gave over 60 talks last year, worked it out, and uh, to all sorts of groups, you know, to seminars like, you know, the one we met at Luke Hines' once, but also, you know, to, to GPs, to physio practices, to massage practices, to, to rotary clubs, to workplaces, to schools. You know, I'd sort of basically, uh, you know, I'll go anywhere, anytime to... Uh, to talk about this uh, this message, and uh, you know, I, I don't uh, take any payment. I just ask for a donation to to Sugar by Half, our our campaign to reduce sugar. And um, you know, I'm happy to uh, to talk because I just think, you know, we've just got to get the message out there, and, and that's the best way I have uh, of doing that. I mean, I I really didn't want to write a book, to be honest. You know, I, I got approached, and I said my first you know response was, look, there's so many books out there, really. You know, does the world need another diet book? You know, and uh, uh, but they convinced me that you know, you know, uh, I had some credibility as a doctor and an Australian doctor. There weren't, you know, really any other books by Australian doctors, and that I, I hopefully might have an effect on on some people. And uh, and the book's selling incredibly well. It's just uh, yeah, it's on four fourth reprint now, fifth reprint, I think, and uh, it's really uh, it's going well. And uh, I get you know so much good feedback. It's amazing, uh, you know, people. Uh, People write and you know, say that it's changed their lives and so on. I mean, no one ever used to write to me saying that changed my life and I fixed their knee or their ankle. But uh, anyway, I get lots of it. <laughs> well, my husband saw the book when I brought it home. He saw it and he said, oh, can I read that? You should see it. It's dog-eared. It's got pink highlights. It's ticked. It's circled. It's, yeah, uh, it's everything. So thank you for writing that book. Um, he really enjoyed it um, because he's also interested in this whole thing. Yeah. No, it seems to be... Uh, 
people have had a good response to it. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did it. It was uh, hard work at the time, but, you know, it's always worth it in the, in the end. But, you know, you just get such a, such good, uh, good feel. I had an interesting one the other day. I was standing in the coffee queue and, um, and this girl came up to me. This is at the university. I, I do some lecturing. And she said, oh, you know, I was at your lecture the other day. I said, oh, that's good, you know, blah, blah. And uh, she said, oh, that's not what I want to talk to you about. I said, oh, God, here we go. You know, what's, what's, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I've done wrong. And, um, and she said, oh, you know, my husband's a, a massive cricket fan. And because of you, we, uh, we changed our diet a few years ago. And I said, oh, great. And he said, well, you know, he, uh, he's had bipolar disease all his life and he's now off all his medication and it's completely changed our lives. And I just want to say thank you. Mm. And oh, I could hardly speak, you know, you sort of think, wow, you know, if you can, if you can just do that for one person, you know, it makes the whole thing, uh, the whole thing worthwhile. And uh, so, you know, the number of, and I, you know, I'm sure you're all, you know, have the same response, you know, from your, your clients and so on. I mean, you get so much positive feedback. It's so rewarding. And, uh, and it just encourages you to, to go out there and, and try and spread the messages, you know, as far and as wide as you can. Do you have much animosity? Uh, not to my face. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there are. You know, one dietitian got up in a lecture and said I should be in jail. But, uh, oh, really? Um, yeah. She said Tim Noakes and Peter Brookman should be in jail. And I thought, oh, I'd love to be in jail with Tim Noakes. It'd be fantastic. I'd yeah. be playing for, you know, having to myself for a few days. It'd be great. <laughs> But, um, oh, look, you know, I'm sure there are lots of people talking behind my back. Uh, usually they're too polite to say it to my face. But, uh, you know, look, I mean, you know, we all have, uh, you know, different ideas and, and I respect other people's uh, ideas and I would hope people would do the same with me. But uh, um, by and large, look, at you know, the, certainly the, the response I get on a, on a personal basis is incredibly positive and, uh, you know, people feel are really interested in this and then they feel, you know, they get it. You know, they say, yeah, you know, we have been doing it wrong and that's why. And, uh, you know, if people understand that and, uh, and, and want to change things, then uh, they can make a massive difference. You know, we've, I, gave a, you know, I gave a seminar recently with, with a guy who was over 200 kilograms and uh, he had, uh, you know, uh, horrible arthritis. He was taking all these drugs. He was, had psoriasis all over his body. And he changed to uh, stop eating sugar and carbohydrates sort of overnight on the 1st of January a couple of years ago. And uh, he's now under 100 kilograms. He just ran his first uh, marathon. He's off all his medication. And he, the interesting thing is he worked out what his medications were costing the Australian taxpayer in subsidised uh, medications. And it was nearly $20,000 a year. And he's now off all those. Wow. So imagine how much money we could save just by reducing medications if we've got people eating properly and exercising regularly, mm. let alone the treatment costs of treating all the complications of, of type 2 diabetes, all the heart attacks, all the amputations, all the kidney problems, all the kidney dialysis and so on. I mean, from, if you're talking about nothing else, just purely from a financial point of view, you know, why don't governments get that? You know, the government could massively reduce the health costs in this country if it changed its attitude to, uh, and put, put some effort into prevention. But, uh, you know, there's too, many, uh, there's too many people who want to keep maintaining the status quo for, uh, for their, own, uh, their own benefit. Very a while sad. ago I worked out how many subscriptions were um, dished out in Australia and divided it by the Australian people and it came to that the average Australian will take 42,000 pills in their life. <laughs> That's uh, pretty scary. Well, pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah. And probably, you know, very few of that 42,000 would have been necessary Mm-hmm. If they, uh, had they had a proper diet and, and exercise and, uh, and so on. So, 
you know, it's uh, it just, just, you know, it's one of those frustrating things. You know, when something seems so obvious to you, you know, why doesn't it seem so obvious? <laughs> so, uh, very frustrating. But we've got to keep battling away and keeping getting that message out. That's my, that's my uh, aim for the next few years is just to get the message out as much as I possibly can. And, you know, yeah. thank you for your, this opportunity to, uh, you know, talk to your uh, millions of uh, listeners. It's fantastic. Thank you. So let me, have you got any last words of wisdom that um, you'd like to tell our listeners? Oh gosh, I've been talking uh, talking enough. I think. Um, look, you know, I think um, is that you know you can take control of your own health. I think that's the important thing, you know, and uh, and you can do it very simply. You know, this is not difficult. You know, people say, "Oh, it's so hard. I could never give up bread, or I could never do this, or never that." It's really not hard because you you see the results, you know, and you see how much better you feel and better you look, and how you know how much healthier you are. So it, it makes it, you know, so rewarding. And, uh, you know, people say, oh, how do you, you know, how do you stick to that, uh, that way of eating? And I say, well, I just feel really good, you know, and I feel as though I'm healthy. So it's not hard. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing is that people think, oh, you know, you're having this miserable diet and, you, and you know, you can't enjoy your food. I mean, oh, I've enjoyed every meal I've had for the last seven years. I mean, you know, there's lots of great food you can have, uh, you know, uh, fresh sort of food and, and uh, you know, meat and fish. And people say, oh, you know, but what about when you go out to a restaurant, you know? And, I mean, I'm, you know, I used to, I mean, with the cricket team, we'd eat out 300 nights a year, you know, and I never once, you know, couldn't find something that uh, that I really liked that was, uh, that, you know, appropriate for, for the way I wanted to eat. There's always alternatives, you know. You go to a, an Italian, people say, oh, you can't have pizza or pasta. I said, well, there's always a really nice, you know, veal and mushrooms and cream. Or, you know, I mean, there's lots of options. So, you know, or fish or whatever. So, look, uh, it's not as hard as people think. Mm. Um, you just got to take the plunge, and uh, and you'll get you know such rewards that it'll be uh, it'll it'll make it easy. Mm. Couldn't agree more. All right, Miss Kimmy, what are the two things that you got from um, Dr. Peter? Oh, Sounds like, been, uh, sorry, I was talking with the, <laughs> the mute button on. Um, <laughs> Pete, I just firstly want to know, Collingwood, are you a supporter of Collingwood? I just need to know that. <laughs> well, I actually did, uh, did a year as a Collingwood uh, head of uh, the medical uh, section at Collingwood many, many years ago. So, well, you know, look, I... Uh, it was quite funny, actually, because I came home and, uh, and told my, uh, my family, you know, that I'm going to be working for Collingwood. And the kids go, Dad, Dad, you hate Collingwood. You know, you always hated Collingwood. <laughs> and my wife is uh, standing behind me says, children, everyone has his price. And uh, <laughs> so, so I quickly had to, uh, had to forget about my hatred for Collingwood. But uh, no, I, uh, I do. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty neutral, though, because I worked for a few different, uh, different clubs, Melbourne. Collingwood and I've had sort of uh, done some work at, you know, Hawthorne, St Kilda, Richmond and so on. So I'm a bit of a neutral. I love my footy, but uh, I'm one of, that, one of that rare sort of uh, football people in Melbourne there that, uh, you know, love football, but it's probably neutral. So, uh, 
very, very diplomatic, I feel. Uh, it's amazing how, good the umpire, amazing how good the umpires are when you're neutral. It's incredible. <laughs> I think what I'd love to say that I've taken away from you is, first of all, I'm so excited that you were part of my fitness leadership and personal training um, <laughs> diploma that I did many years ago in the late 80s um, yeah. um, in Melbourne. And it only just occurred to me then that you were one of the, the lecturers that I got mm. to listen to. So I just want to say thank you for that because mm. you you've actually had a, an impact on my life because at that time I was also an athlete. I was running, I got selected for the Australian ultramarathon team to run in the UK in a 24 hour event. And it was your talk that I remember got me very focused on how to look after myself. Now I don't recall you specifically speaking like this, but I recall you having a very, um, a, a very holistic approach to sports medicine. And I loved that. Um, is that true to say that that's where you were still sitting back then? Oh, look, probably not as much as now, uh, mm. I'll have to admit. Um, I've always sort of tried to, you know, to, to be reasonably holistic, but I, I guess, you know, I just uh, didn't understand nutrition that well then. I just went along with what everyone else was saying and, and I didn't really question it. And I feel bad that, you know, for all that time I didn't really... Uh, but, you know, you tend to sort of just, you know, believe what you're taught and believe what you're told and, and, you know, you sort of assume that the people who do the dietary guidelines know what they're talking about and when you're looking to it, you think, oh, boy. <laughs> but quite, I, recall, uh, I recall with you the real welfare of the athlete, that yeah. conversation more around that because I remember listening to Karen Inge more about the nutrition but yourself yeah. was around the welfare and the rehabilitation of the body after hard workouts and things and... I think that's what I really do recall from you. Um, from today, what I can honestly say, what I've taken away from you, is that whole thing that everybody is responsible for the, the place that we're all in, um, in the situation with our health and getting sicker and sicker over 40 years. I think rather than there's nowhere to blame. I, I have to be honest with you, Peter, I'm completely shocked that there is no study on nutrition or exercise to become a medical doctor or very, very little when I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not a medical practitioner, and I'm not sitting here with a high and mighty attitude, but from my point of view, being the end person that I go and seek my advice and, and to get advice from experts like yourself, I would love to know that you understood that if every one of those 50 trillion cells is affected by food coming in and the way we assimilate and then eliminate, surely nutrition, just like petrol in a Formula One sports car is important, I would imagine, I can't imagine how that's not an important focus. And I'm hoping that that might change. So um, I'm, I'm interested if there is any mindset conversations that you have as a medical practitioner as well. Um, but yes, your GERF conversation has certainly pushed the buttons again. I think that's a great thing. And if people have never heard that concept before, I've always appreciated that just eat real food. So, so thank you. And, and you yourself going through a crisis, obviously, uh, you know, you took one for the team and you, and you become the beautiful, amazing doctor that you are. And we're very grateful to have you on the show. So thank you. They're my takeaways. No, oh, it's very kind of you. Thanks. It's been a real, a real pleasure. And uh, look, as far as the, the, you know, the education of doctors goes, you know, I, look, I think we are slowly getting there. I, I've been invited to, to, to speak at one of the medical schools on, on nutrition and so on. So, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll get there uh, in, you know, in the next few years. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that, uh, 
you know, as, as more and more people uh, you know, understand the, the importance of nutrition, that, that it will uh, eventually get onto the medical curriculum. But uh, it's going to take a little while, I'm afraid. Yeah. I think for me, um, my greatest takeaways from today's podcast, and I haven't had much of a chance to talk today. Oh, I'm um, sorry. But... I do want that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's no, us. Oh, no, 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 Peter, not you. Not you at all. We just, we, we have this giggle between us because when we have a guest on the show that, you know, we're, we're particularly honed into and passionate about, we kind of just go nuts. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's awesome to listen to it. It's absolutely awesome. So I've had the luxury of being able to sit back and listen today, which has been an absolute treat. And I feel that, you know, there've been a couple of things that I've thought of while I've been listening to you in that um, I come from very much the psychological mindset side of things and being able to have a, a, a holistic approach, you know, the, the, the mind, the body, the soul, a lot. And what's been really interesting in listening to you is that you have a voice that sounds so patient and sounds so congruent where I can imagine there would have been times of enormous frustration dealing with a antiquated mindset or a mindset that is still very much stuck in in one direction. So I want to take my hat off to you and commend you for being so prolific and so um, so connected to your message that it's, you know, you've got a never say die attitude that is very patient and very much about one step and progressing and in time we'll get there. And I just, I love that approach because I know that that's what it's going to take in order for um, all areas of our community um, to, to wake up. So that was one of the things that I really felt was very inspiring about you was your um, constant application to your message. And the second thing is that I think a lot of our listeners, and I, tend to, I try to read between the lines a little bit, but I think a lot of our listeners can take a lot from that, that, that piece of when you find your message, stay true to it and never waver even in the face of objection or rejection Mm. and together we can make a profound difference and a massive difference in the lives of the people who are suffering and the lives of the people who will potentially suffer without Mm. the message that we have so thank you for being such an advocate and such a pioneer um with such a, a loud voice and a very um, educated voice, which is what we need. So thank you. Oh, thank you. That was very kind of you. But, uh, yeah, we just got to keep, uh, keep at it. We'll get there in the end. Yes, I love that. And I think my two takeaways were the N equals one. I think everybody should do an N equals one. I think that don't poo-poo um, the diet until you try it. And if it works for you, then you're on the right thing. If it doesn't work for you, then maybe you need to trial something else, such as, you know, there's, there's so many out there, but um, if we look at it, it's about real food and it is about us not having refined sugars and um, foods like that. So I think your N equals one was brilliant. I loved watching it um, when you talked about it and looking at all your markers. They were just uh, amazing. So that, that's number one for me. Um, and number two is I'm, I'm on the same realm as, as Karen. I just love that you found your passion and, and you do speak with such amazing passion and that that message is getting out and, 
and let's go for 120 talks this this year. How about that? <laughs> so, well, girl, I'll be I'll be sick of the sound of my own voice. But uh, no, no, it's, uh, I think you know the the N equals one. I'll just if I can just finish on that. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I think uh, I just encourage people to to try it for a month. So just give it a go for a month. You know, it's not going to kill you. Just you know, just give away the processed food and eat real food without sugar and without starches for a month, and you know you'll be blown away. You know, after that month, you'll never want to go back to the old way. You just try it for a month. Just persevere. It might be a bit hard the first week or two, but give yourself a month. And uh, at the end of that month, you know, if it's not for you, as you said, fine. But uh, 90% of people will feel so fantastic. They'll have lost weight. They'll have reversed a lot of their, med- their metabolic uh, ill health and uh, they'll be on this path forever. It'll be life-changing for them. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much for being a part of today's show and for sharing your wisdom, Peter. You've been amazing, amazing, amazing. So for all of our listeners, just remind us again, what's the best place for them to follow you? Okay, fatlotofgood.com.au. Awesome. Uh, which is the, uh, the website associated with, with my book, which is available at uh, all good bookstores, as they say, and uh, online at uh, you know all the usual places online. So. Uh, Yeah, I think uh, people will find it pretty interesting. Fantastic. All right, fantastic. Thank you so much, Peter. And for all of our listeners, make sure that you go to Fat Lot of Good and check it out and make sure that you follow Peter. And um, if you've got any questions, any thoughts, please head on over to our Facebook page at all the W's.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. And you can also head on over to all the W's.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. And you can post your comments and your questions right there as well. So make sure that you guys all tune in next week right here on Up For A Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. And we are going to look so forward to seeing you on the ride. Bye for now, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this Wellness Couch podcast. Did you know we've launched a brand new Facebook group where you can chat about any podcast you like with a tribe of like-minded people? The group is called the Wellness Couch Tribe and it's an inspirational digital meeting place to connect you to like-minded wellness lovers just like you. To locate it and come join us, simply search for The Wellness Couch Tribe wherever you enjoy Facebook. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.